going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 10 of Drop the Mitts Hockey Podcast. I'm with my buddy, co-host, Mike Sullivan, brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I mean, we're a little over a month into, you know, the waiting game for the season to start. So we're inching closer and closer. And and even today I was I was at work just walking around and I was like, oh. Like God, oh my God, I'm getting the itch. I'm getting the itch really bad, dude. Yeah, dude, we're Matt Bolesky days away, so it's, yeah. it's getting closer, man. It, it's going quick. Um, I'm so freaking excited, man. We need we need something. We need football. We need hockey. We need, um, you know, something. I'm sick of not watching, coming home and just watching the fucking office and fucking uh, new girl every day. Dude, so. Something, something other than baseball. I need a sport other than baseball right now. Can't watch that shit, dude. No, I, I barely can either. I have the attention span of a squirrel, so it's like, I <laughs> but um, yeah, man. So you know, I we had talked about right before we started recording. I think this is going to be a really special opportunity, um, you know, especially for both of us to um, talk about something that's that's really near and dear to to both of our hearts, and something that's affected both of us um, significantly. Um, over the weekend, one of my good friends, uh, Maddie McRae, um, state state police officer, um, was hit by a drunk driver um, while vacationing in Utah. Um, he was with uh, another one of my buddies, uh, Nick Coleman, um, and they were both seriously injured. Um, Matthew obviously is got the brunt of it, um, and Nick isn't doing too great either. Um, so definitely one of the worst phone calls I've ever gotten. Um, and so I wanted to take a chance um, at the beginning of this episode to read um, the GoFundMe that was put together um, for Matthew and his family. Um, the extent of his injuries, he, he's got fucking long road ahead. Um, he's got, if anyone can, can get through this, it's, it's Maddie and he's just a fucking, one of the best kids I know, um, helped me get through so much so much bullshit when I got home from the military um, with some serious issues. And, and he was always there for me um, through everything. Um, just such a good, just someone I look up to um, just, you know, one of the best people I know. I, it's so crazy. I can't even put into words what, uh, what all of us are feeling right now. And um, so I'm going to read uh, the GoFundMe post for Maddie. Um, on August 25th, around 1 in the morning, Matthew McRae and one other passenger, Nick Coleman, were in a serious motor vehicle crash in Salt Lake City, Utah, while on vacation. Matthew was a passenger in a rideshare at the time of the crash. Matthew, another passenger, and the operator of the rideshare were all transported to the hospital with severe injuries. The crash left Matthew in critical condition in the ICU with several broken bones, including a broken neck and severe spinal injury. The operator who struck the rideshare ride vehicle was placed into custody on suspicion of DUI. Matthew has been a state trooper in Massachusetts for four years and previously was a local police officer for three years. In the performance of his duties as a state trooper, Matthew has dedicated his life to serving and protecting the people of the Commonwealth. For those who know Matthew, and for those who are lucky enough to know Matthew, we can all agree that he is a generous, fun-loving person. He has helped so many people within his personal and professional life. Now it's time for us to help to give back and help him. The goal of this GoFundMe is to raise money for a potential medical transport flight as well as any care he may need as he progresses. The expense for Matthew's medical treatment and any other unforeseen costs may be significant and any little bit will help. As of Sunday, August 27th, Matthew remains in critical condition in the ICU. Even if you are unable to donate to this fund, we please ask that you share this page and say a prayer for Matthew. Lastly, we extend our deepest gratitude to all the first responders who took care of Matthew and, and Nick, um, who were the vi you know the victims of this horrible crash. Special thanks to Salt Lake City Police Department, the Utah Highway Patrol, 
in the University of Utah Hospital. Thank you. Additionally, we thank the State Police Association of Massachusetts for all the guidance through this difficult time. And there is an update from um, August 28th that I want to read from uh, Maddie's brother, Casey. Um, we wanted to take the opportunity to thank everyone who made it possible for Matthew to meet his fundraising goal in the first 24 hours. We are forever grateful for the outpour of support and we've received and continue to receive. Even though we've met this goal to con um, sorry, even though we've met this goal to continue to cover his medical transport back to Boston, we are still accepting donations to fund his ongoing medical care and any unforeseen expenses that he may have. Matthew is a fighter and continues to battle on. He remains in critical condition in the ICU, but continues to make small improvements every day. Thank you, and please keep Matthew in your thoughts and prayers. Sincerely, the McRae family. Um, yeah, man, so, you know, the outpouring of support for, for my buddy, for Maddie, and especially, man, through, like, the hockey community, which, you know, obviously we're a hockey podcast, and it, it's been insane to see all the – I wish I could read all the names of, of the people that – have reached out and, you know, offered their, you know, their prayers, their thoughts and prayers. It's, it's been insane, man. Um, the, the amount of texts, I mean, seeing David Pasternak, you know, Charlie McAvoy, John Buchacross, Stephen can that's just to like name a few men. And, and it's, it's something that means so much to his family to see that, you know, we're all, you know, we're all behind him and, um, the city of Boston and, and Massachusetts as a whole is, is really special. Um, it, there, there's no place like it. Um, how, how fast everyone rallied to get past that goal within fucking 24 hours was insane. I, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and obviously, you know, you guys can continue to support, um, the GoFundMe is going to be linked in my bio. I'm also going to put it in the notes for, um, the podcast notes for this episode. Um, so yeah, I mean, even, like I said, even if, if you can't donate, just sharing the post to get more people to see it, um, makes a huge difference. It, it, it's a huge help. Um, Maddie has a long road ahead. His family has a long road ahead and any little bit helps. Um, kids a fucking fighter. And if anyone can get through it and, and get on the other side of this, it's Maddie. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think we, a lot of this episode we wanted to talk about um, drunk driving, um, how selfish it is. Um, I, I think the worst part of this whole thing is that my buddies Nick, um, Nick and Maddie did the right thing, called an Uber. How, how easy is it to call an Uber and still got it's just it's fucking crazy, man. Um, it's it's just one of the most selfish things you can do um, to to make that to make that decision get behind the wheel. You, not only putting others, you, you're putting yourself and and other innocent people at risk. Um, and, and it's just like I said, one of the most selfish fucking things you can do. Yeah, man. Um, like you said earlier, unfortunately, both of us have had experiences with situations just like this um you know my, my certain incident i won't get into it too much but it was four years ago it was in 2019 and it still feels like it happened today you know it, that that feeling never leaves you um you you think about it every day for the rest of your life and it's all because somebody made the selfish decision to willingly get behind the wheel of a vehicle incapacitated and knowing that you should not be driving. Um, in this day and age, it's never been easier to, to not make that decision. Call an Uber, call a friend, call somebody, call your parents, somebody else to get behind the wheel and drive you home. Um, walk, walk, do anything, but it's, it's the support that the hockey community um and just massachusetts new england anybody in general 
that that's been showing their support for Matthew's family um, is insane. And it just goes to show what people can do when they get together and, and really support somebody in a family that's in need of, of dire help. And just, if you're listening to this right now and you've driven that way in the past, just know that all it takes is an instant. And all of a sudden, not only is your life ruined, but the family of, of others is ruined. You could take a life. You could completely alter the way that somebody goes on about their future. You know, take, take Matthew, for instance, you said police officer in his local town for three years, state trooper for four years for Massachusetts and doing nothing but serving other people, benefiting the community, living his life to support others. And like you said, they did the right thing. They got the Uber. And in this instance, the one kid who decided to still get behind the wheel and, and drive that vehicle and alter the lives of many people that night. It's just the most selfish thing that you can do. And it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's something that's always going to happen. But the more people that can hear these stories and can hear these personal um, experiences with, with people choosing to still drive, I know at least one person listening to this is going to hear these stories and they're going to alter their mindset. Maybe one night they're at a party with their friends. They're at a party with their family. They've had a couple, you know, too many drinks and they're going to see those keys in, in their hands and they're going to look down and they're going to remember us talking about this. They're going to remember these stories and they're going to say, you know what? I'm calling an Uber. Somebody take my keys. I'm not driving home tonight. I don't care. And just, just, just one person changing one person's mindset on that is beneficial and it'll help. But just know that it's, it's literally the worst, one of the worst decisions that you could ever make. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head on the, you know, if we can get this through to one person, that's a win in my books. We can get one person to stop and think, Snap of a finger, man. It's all it takes. Even Snap. even if you're even if you're buzzed, it, no difference. If you've had, yep. don't drink and drive. Basically, you have one. Cool it for a little bit. Do not like. Just don't do it. Do yep. not do it. Yeah, I like I said, man. I, I I'm gonna try not to completely go off. And uh, this is this is more so about Matthew and and obviously. Um, like I said, I'm going to include all the links to the GoFundMe, um, his accounts, like I said, messages that you want to send, uh, well wishes. Um, like I said, one, he's one of the best human beings, and, and anyone that is remotely close to him can can attest to this. Um, being a stadium, it goes way, way beyond being a police officer. Right. With Matthew. It, it It's... He does everything, you know, it, he always, he always just has no problem standing up for what he believes in right or wrong. Um, he, he's just one of the most dedicated human beings I know to, to helping people. And that's all he wants to do, man. He, he's the most, one of the most selfless human beings I know. Um, and, and not, I, I, I know not just for me specifically who he's helped with so many different things. Um, but I know others um, that he's helped, obviously, within the community. And um, with him helping all of us and helping everyone in the Commonwealth, it's our turn to um, to give back and help Maddie and help Maddie's family um, get through this. Because I, I never want them to have any any worries other than, you know, his health, his recovery ever again. And that's all they should be focused on. And um, again... All the information is going to be in the notes for this uh, for this podcast. It's going to drop on Saturday, um, tomorrow, September second. Um, and yeah, dude, just it, it's a it's a really surreal thing. Um, and I, I will say too, it's a it's a testament to his character and his strength to fighting through what he's fighting through right now. 
you know um not everybody in in his position would be i don't want to say willing but they don't have the strength to do that but and i don't know matthew personally but based on everything that you've told me about him um just the fact that he's a statey like this dude's a, he's a literal trooper this dude's a trooper and he's getting through this you know as one would um you know you, it just gives you so much inspiration to to see him fighting through this and seeing his family go through the same thing you know it's it's he's he's the one who's injured but his family too what they're going through right now is emotionally distressing it's 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 awful and i can tell you that firsthand i can literally tell you that firsthand um it's a terrible terrible thing and the the spirit and the the fighting it's it should it should inspire everybody um around him and and like you said seeing everybody rally around him is i don't i don't i don't want to say positive but you can always take positive out of a negative situation and if you're looking to take a positive out of this one it's the fighting spirit of him and his family and and um the community coming together as one to support them the way that matthew as a as a law enforcement um officer how he supports the community in the state so seeing everybody get together like this and really support them is a beautiful thing and he's been in my thoughts and my prayers every night since you've told me that this happened um same with his family and the the kid who was driving deserves to be put away for a long time you know it's surely obviously not done on purpose but it doesn't matter you made that decision to get behind the wheel there's no sympathy on that side you you ruined lives because you wanted to drive home drunk and you just you have to pay for that you have to absolutely you put out a poll man and and especially now i have zero sympathy for that kind of bullshit right that's exactly what it is is bullshit right it's bullshit Uh, it's bullshit we're in 2023 man fucking call call a ride share or whatever call a friend Use your fucking Lamborghinis for all I fucking care. <laughs> yeah, put those Crocs in four-wheel drive and get going. And get home. Fucking yeah. hit the showers, get to bed. Done. Yeah. Like again, man. Um I'm not gonna I'm not I'm gonna contain myself. Um, but honestly, I wanted to take this this episode um to kind of put hockey on the back burner for for a little bit. Um obviously Matthew's a huge hockey fan, played all through high school. Um, that's, that's kind of how we, you know, got to be such good friends going at it. You know, we were on opposite <laughs> teams and yeah. just going at it all the time. He, uh, just such a, such a funny dude. Um, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to, to thank, um, every single, everyone that took the opportunity and, and, you know, shared Matthew's story because the more that people share this, the more people that get to see it and the more that get to know how great of a person Matthew is. Um, so, you know, especially I want to thank the the Boston Bruins Foundation um, for getting involved. Um, it, it's, I want to thank, you know, David Krejci and his wife, Naomi. Um, you know, they've been extremely supportive for this whole thing. Um, you know, it, it's so crazy, man, that they, they, even it's it was on it's on their radar and um it's a testament to how special maddie is and and everyone just wants him you know to to get better and um again i i there's so many people i have to thank um and and i think i just there's there's so many people that helped out and and i think i want to just do a, a a thank you to everyone uh it makes me for sure man emotional and just yeah. kind of seeing everyone rally together it gives you real hope man and uh it does it gives you real hope because you know what in in these times these these questionable times that we live in it really gives you hope seeing stuff like this um you know everyone just coming together rallying for for a great cause and for um a great fucking human being um and 
Yeah, I, we, we've got some things in the works, um, you know, ways that we're going to support Maddie and his recovery. And um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, we are going to um, we are going to include an interview um, in this episode. And I think it's a really fitting one. Um, I got the chance to sit down with uh, with Reagan Rust, um, former captain of the BU women's hockey team. Um, unbelievable person. She just is the, one of the most, another one that reached out and offered her support. Um, you know, it just, it, it just was crazy, man. You know, she just is, is such a genuine human being. Um, she's the founder of the female athlete society, um, former D one and pro hockey player. Um, she played for, like I said, BU Terriers, um, and a mental health advocate. Um, and, and her story is, is phenomenal. Um, just just so inspiring and especially to, to young girls that want to play the game of hockey and um she's been so inspiring to to that group and, and honestly she's an inspiration to me as well um so without further ado i i want to again thank everyone um for this episode it's a really special one to me um it's really special to a lot of people and um matthew's gofundme is going to be linked um in the podcast notes you can also get that information um, in my bio. Um, and again, even if you can't donate, just sharing um, would be a, a huge help. Um, because like I said, Maddie's got a long road ahead. Um, his family's got a long road ahead, but he's got an entire army behind him. Um, so again, I, I cannot thank everyone in the community enough for uh, stepping in and getting involved um, when times are tough. So without yeah, so without further ado, um, we bring you Reagan Rust. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to episode ten of Drop the Mitts Hockey Podcast. We have a phenomenal guest with us today, um, former BU Terrier and current Metropolitan Riveters um, player, and also a member of the Beanpot Hall of Fame and the founder of the Female Athlete Society. Reagan Rust. Reagan, how are you? I'm doing really good, trying to stay cool down here in Dallas. I can't even imagine how hot it is. We're we're up in Mass, and it's friggin' brutal here, so I can't even imagine what Texas is like right now. I think it's 105 degrees here, um, so yeah, it's pretty bad. That's absolutely brutal. How, uh, have you been there pretty much all summer? Uh, I've been moving around the past five months, but I've been here for about a week now, and as soon as I got back, the heat wave came back with me. Uh, so where uh, where have you been? Literally everywhere. I've been to Costa Rica twice, Las Vegas twice, Toronto a few times, Boston, New York, Vermont, California, Florida. Pretty much like all hockey related stuff. Yeah, basically all hockey and go. a little bit of family. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I I had a buddy who he's still stationed at Fort Hood right now, and he said it's like miserable down there in Texas. So oh, I can't even. I can't even think what it's like for him. Yeah. (laughs) But um, so kind of want to get into the interview. Um, Like I was telling you before we started the episode, I kind of came across the your profile and and everything that, you know, you've been through and your kind of your journey to where you are now. And I was just absolutely fascinated by it. Um, So I want to talk to you about growing up in Mississippi and what that looked like as far as like your hot, like the beginning of your hockey career, like how did that all start being in Mississippi? So when I was growing up, there was only one rink practically in the entire state. And I think there's two now, which is very exciting. It's growing. It's doubled the amount of rinks. And my aunts are going to the semi-pro hockey team down there, the Memphis River Kings at the time they were playing in the CHL, now the SPHL. And she started taking us when I was around five years old, four or five years old. And then, we got pretty close to the players, me and my sister. And then they were like, oh, you guys should come out. We're starting a rec league. It's going to be so fun. There's going to be so many girls. And then we show up. It's like us and 30 boys. And we end up sticking with it for about five years down in Mississippi before we started traveling, but like still living in Mississippi and playing hockey. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy because I, I remember like, so when I first got stationed down south in Alabama and I brought my hockey bag with me. And the first thing they told me, they're like, why would you bring that? There's not the, the closest rink is like four away, uh, four hours away in Huntsville. And so, like I said, when I saw Mississippi on your profile, I was like, what the hell? I didn't even know they had hockey there. 
but so it, random. It's <laughs> yeah, it's so random. And like, uh, I was reading through Wikipedia, and it was saying that you commuted twelve hours every other weekend to play. Like, that's insane. Talk to us about uh, what that looked like, and how like was that draining on you? Like, yeah, technically twenty four hours because it was that was only one way. The twelve hours there, then the twelve hours back. Oh, that was but... one way was one way so we would drive from mississippi uh normally most thursday afternoons like right after school when my mom would get out of work and then we go pick up my best friend and her family and then we would drive up either to pittsburgh or detroit or wherever our tournament was that weekend and sometimes we just have practice weekends so we would drive up with some families and like stay with them it was it was crazy honestly we get back at like three in the morning on mondays how dr- if, if we were lucky, <laughs> yeah, like that's insane. We're like, how drained were you? Like, especially your mom drive. Like, what kind of toll did that take on you? Like, to be honest with you, I don't know how my mom did it personally because she was like working an office job nine to five, and so I'm kind of shocked that she was able to do it all. But she managed. Lack of sleep. That's what we all did. I think I would fall asleep during most probably I think it was like my second or third period biology class my teacher just knew she would just let me sleep she <laughs> she felt so bad for me and yeah no it was, it was definitely challenging but I mean we did all of our homework in the car whatever we needed to do to catch up it wasn't too hard at that point in time because we were still in like middle school slash ninth grade so it wasn't too bad yeah you know the, the things that parents do for their kids like I'm sure she wouldn't mm-hmm. change the world and, and you know I'm sure you're extremely grateful for everything that you know she helped with Oh yeah. She's a crazy, but incredible woman at the same time. Um, And then, so the next thing at 15, you moved to Lake Placid, New York um, to attend the national sports Academy. What was that adjustment like moving up to New York? Um, And was it a culture shock to you? And and what helped you adjust to, to that move? I don't think the adjustment was too challenging for me. That was probably one of my easiest moves that I've ever made. And I think it's because I was just so excited for not having to travel as much as I did. Turns out we were still doing 24 hour bus trips, yeah. but our school was like accommodating to that. So I, I think it helped that I wasn't alone in it. So I was always on a bus with like the other 20 girls on my team and we became really close almost like instantly. And so we always refer to each other as a family. And actually one of the trips I took this year down to Florida was to see one of those girls that I went to prep school with no over 12 years ago now. That's awesome. What, what what would you say was like your most difficult move? Probably from RIT to BU. That one or Budapest. That one was pretty challenging as well. What and like what aspects made it so um, difficult um, that transition? I wasn't necessarily in the best headspace whenever I moved from RIT to BU, just because there was so much more added pressure in my eyes where. I'm like the kid that they're taking a chance on. And so like, I didn't want to disappoint if that makes sense. Yeah, Plus sure. I didn't know any of the players that were going to be there. And I was just struggling with like the, it's like PTSD from the coach and like the culture that was there at RIT. I was thinking that it could potentially happen. And so like, I was just experiencing a lot of depression, anxiety regarding that and then couldn't sleep. So that's why that move was pretty challenging. And then for Budapest, I was just moving across the world during a pandemic. And then we had a two-week lockdown as soon as I got there. So, like, we could not leave our apartment. Yeah, so you're, like, again, you mentioned traveling across the world. Then you're locked down. You have no idea where the hell you are. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the stress that takes. And then it's kind of like a spiral effect you mentioned. Like, when you're not sleeping, then everything just kind of piles. And and I can definitely understand that PTSD and that anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after... After the National Sports Academy shut down, you moved to Pittsburgh um, to play for the U19 program. Um, what was it like living with a billet family? You li- you mentioned, I think I saw that you lived with two different ones. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about what that's like? Like, I think for the ordinary person, it's just so bizarre to think about, like, you just moving in with, like, this random family. Like, obviously, you're there to play hockey. Like, what was your experience like with these two, with these two families? Were they both great? Like, what uh, what that look like? So my first year moving to Pittsburgh was my junior year, and that was my then third high school. And so I was kind of just used to being the new kid at that point. But it kind of helped having my billet sisters actually went to the same high school as me. And so like I was able to have friends that way. And 
everything along those lines. But for the most part, I was just like used to being by myself when it came to like being at home. So like mixing that all in, I was sharing room, like a bunk bed and everything. And so I was like, I mean, it's kind of like prep school, but at the end of the day, place for me if that makes sense yeah. like we we just grew up differently and I have nothing against them whatsoever they're a great family but our chemistry like was not there whatsoever so that's why I ended up going to another um I ended up going back home for well to Texas home for like two months and I went to a new school down there and then, and so then what about that second fan was the second family a little bit better a little bit better chemistry I guess yeah because they yeah, I was just like used to always traveling by myself, always having to do everything for myself, cook for myself, anything along those lines. And whenever I was with that new billet family, their daughter had already gone to college. She was gone for work all the time. Their husband was like a state senator. And so I was just like by Wait. myself. Yeah. Are you yeah. So it was like a there was like two different dynamics. One had like young kids and like a full family. And the other one was like, oh, do whatever you want. And so like that, that actually meshed with my personality a lot better where I just had the freedom to come and go as I please. They missed that in the game notes, the Senator piece. That's, that's, that's wild. Yeah. Like, like what was that like? Like that, that must've been so bizarre to like, I can't even imagine what that's like living with like a freaking politician. I mean, there's, we, we never meshed or I mean, not, we didn't mesh, but like, we never like really talked to each other that much. Cause he was gone a lot too. Cause he actually, he wasn't a Senator at that point. He had been like a few years prior. He was also like, I think he went to the U S military, like some, what was it? Army. I think he went to army uh, West Point. and he went to West Point. Yeah. And so did his wife. And so they were just like always everywhere. They're very structured. That's what I will say. Oh yeah. So, Military will do that to you, I guess. But very nice too. So I I really appreciated living with them. That's awesome. I mean, that always and I feel like that makes like the moves a lot easier when you're like when you mesh easier with you know with different people. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 2015, you joined a newly promoted um, Division One program, RIT, um, and you were named to the All Rookie Team. Can you talk to us about what your experience was like um, for those couple years at RIT? Obviously, it was a brand new program, brand new to D1. And initially, I was reading that you didn't think you were going to get any D1 offers. Um, mm -hmm. Like, what was that like? That that program obviously newly promoted. Like, what was it like competition-wise? What was your experience like with the team, um, the coaching staff, all that? So, I – well, first of all, I didn't really think I was going to get any playing time. So I was just happy to be playing D1. That was my only D1 offer. And when I chose there, like, I love the new facilities that they had and everything along those lines. I had met some of the girls that I was going to be playing with. And to start, it was really hard. Like, we had some tough workouts. I was like, oh, my God, people do four years of this? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> Uh, and we started off the season, uh, not the best record. It was actually, we were, five, and I actually, we might've been bottom two with union. And so that season, my first freshman year season, we won six games oh. out of 36. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can just imagine like the coach, how the coaching would be, how like we would be vibing with each other in the locker room. It yeah. got to be really it was challenging. That's just all I'm going to say about it. Like mentally, physically, everything. Yeah. Um, with So I'm curious, like with obviously the not winning so much, like morale being low, did, what, did things like, were there a lot of like clashing between team teammates and like coaching staff? Like, obviously I, that's, I can't imagine how frustrating that is. Um, only winning six games. Like what did that look like? What did the morale look like? Um, was there a lot of clashing between you guys? I wouldn't say there was a lot of clashing between us on ice. I think a lot of it came from like drama off ice, maybe. Yeah. Um, I I think a lot of it with the coaching staff is like they came from a team that were national champions in D3. And so I, I think they just expected the culture that they had as a D3 national championship team to move over to the D1. And it did for like a couple of years because they came through in playoffs and they ended up winning the CHA two years in a row before I got there. But 
I think once that class graduated, they didn't know how to implement the new leadership group and like have them carry us. And there was also just a big skill gap because a lot of the girls weren't on scholarship. Actually, none of us were on scholarship unless it was like academic because RIT was grandfathered into the Ivy Leagues, like the way that they run there. So you don't get athletic scholarship. It's all academic or need-based. So kind of going back to like the recruiting process, I guess, were there any D3 schools that you were kind of looking at or interested in? Like, and then ultimately what made you choose RIT? I was looking at a lot of NESCAC schools, which are similar to Ivy's in like their academic side, but all liberal schools, liberal arts schools. And then I was looking at Endicott. That was a big one for me because I wanted to be like near a city and it was just like a really beautiful campus and it was super small. And then I was also looking at, what was the other one? It was Elmira College, just south of RIT, like an hour south. And I like that campus. It reminded me somewhat of Harry Potter. But I think after I toured RIT, I was like, this is my dream. Like, this is everything I've been working for, for like the past 10 years of my life. So that's what I ended up choosing was the D1 offer. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, like, to go from deep, like looking at D3 schools and then kind of looking at where you ended up. It's kind of crazy to think about. So after two years at RIT, you ended up transferring to BU. Um, and in your in your final year, you ended up wearing a, a letter for your team. Like, again, how crazy was it to kind of go from bare, like not even thinking that you were going to get playing time to now wearing a letter for a such a amazing like hockey school like what was that like like did you kind of have to pinch yourself yeah it didn't feel real especially (laughs) I mean we were going throughout the year my first year at BU we actually didn't have the best season there was just like we were trying to find ways to match but we had some of the top scores in the country on our team which was like the most challenging piece of it all is like how are we not winning with like all these goals and that second year um you know, we kind of just did everything that we could to change the culture around as like, we're not going to rely on two people. We're relying on the entire team. So everybody needs to know their role and like where they fit in. And after we had that conversation with the team, it kind of, we, we went from, <laughs> this is so embarrassing to say, but the first game we played my senior year was against Northeastern. Let me tell you, it was the worst game <laughs> of my life. We lost 5-0 and I was oh, on for all five goals. And, you were, you but, were a minus five? I was a minus five. Some were on, like, the PK. Oh. A couple were on the PK. Oh, I, was, right. I was minus three, but, like, you know, I felt like those were all five. A little five. bit better. Yeah, no, not so much. In my head, it was like, ah, this is tough. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going into the locker room and just laughing. I was like, well, you can only go up from here. <laughs> and I wrote to myself, I was like, I will never be as embarrassed as I felt during that game in any other game this year and like that's the team we ended up beating in one of the beanpot games and so I think it was good to have that wake up super early in the season because we played the next I don't know maybe six seven games and then just went on a winning streak and became top 10 in the country yeah you guys (laughs) unbelievable season Uh, yeah um kind of going back to wearing that letter did have you always like at that point in time did you kind of consider yourself a leader? Like what, what extra responsibility was added by wearing that letter? Yeah, I'd say I've always been a leader on teams in different ways, either from my work ethic or just like speaking up in the locker room. So like ninth grade, I was a captain. And then like whenever, actually when I was leaving RIT, the conversation that I had with the coach was, well, we were going to make you a captain next year. And I was like, yeah, I'm still going to leave. <laughs> and not good enough. <laughs> um, but I, that, you know, being at BU, you expect the most out of yourself and you expect to give everything, not just for yourself, but for the team. And so that was kind of always my mentality going into every single workout, every practice. I just wanted to be a good teammate. And, you know, that's what my teammates ultimately saw in me and the coaching staff. And so, me and the two other captains, we worked really hard to one, like not only over the summer where we were getting girls involved, like having these group chats, mixing them with um, leaders on the, like different leaders that weren't wearing letters and mixing those with the freshmen, like getting them acclimated before they even got to school. 
And then we had a lot of team bonding that happened. We had uh, a lot of meetings with the leadership development coach at BU at the time. And then she came in and helped us lead meetings with the team. So we were always kind of on top of it throughout the season. And I think one of our biggest ones that we had was in January when we regrouped after we had gone on that hot streak. We had swept um, BC. I think we had swept Providence maybe. And then we swept RIT for like the the last games going into December. That one felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But whenever we had that January conversation, it was all about vulnerability. And so I think we kind of closed the gap that we didn't have at the very beginning of the year. And then we kept our hot streak up and that's how we ended. I think top eight or top seven, maybe that was our final number. So yeah, that's unreal. Like having everyone kind of buy into what you guys are trying to, you know, the groundwork you guys are trying to lay, you know, lay out and obviously BU being such a good school, like, I, I'm pretty sure there. Everyone there is pretty highly touted and and highly scouted and whatever. So I I can't imagine what it was like probably getting like trying to get everyone to buy into that. Yeah, no, it was. Um, I think because the three of us had focused so much on developing the culture, like that was our our main objective over everything. Like wins, losses, we wanted to have a good culture in the locker room because. I mean, we're with each other for like 25 hours each week. That's like yeah. a part-time job being with everybody. And some of the girls lived with them, would lived with each other too. So it was like, we had to have that good chemistry off ice in order to yeah. have the really good chemistry on ice. Yeah. It's a family at that point, you know, like you're spending all your, the vast majority of your time with, with your teammates and mm-hmm. if things going well, it's, you're in for a long year. Um, exactly. So, so obviously you're a beanpot legend. Um <laughs> Inducted to the Beanpot Hall of Fame. Um, 2019, you scored the game-winning goal to beat uh, Northeastern in the semifinals. And then you scored the opening goal against Harvard um, to ultimately have you guys win the Beanpot. Do you, what do you remember from scoring that game-winning goal against Northeastern? And then what do you remember about ultimately hoisting the Beanpot? Like, what is – I can't even for, – for people that are outside the, the uh, outside of Massachusetts – like the bean pot is a huge tournament for like the national for, championship for yeah. Boston schools. It, yeah, exactly. And like, I don't think people outside of Massachusetts like really understand like the, the significance of that. Um, mm-hmm. Take us through like what you remember scoring that goal and then hoisting the, the bean pot. You know, it's really funny because I actually, I think about a month ago now I met up with Brian DeRocher the head coach at the time who just newly retired last year or last season. And we were chit-chatting, maybe had like a margarita in me at that point. I was like, BD, do you remember what you said to me during the Beanpot game? Because he loves to tell that piece to everybody, like me being from Mississippi in the Beanpot and all that stuff. And he was like, no, I don't. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you don't remember this. He told me a story about a girl on the team who had lost their grandfather like earlier that week and nobody had known except for him. And he, and she was the one that went up before me. So she made some sick deke, like dropped the goalie to her knees, went around her, scored. Like all she had to do was just tap it in. And he, I see him walking over towards me. I'm like, Oh no. And then he, he tells me that story. And in my head, I'm just like, why would you lead with that? Like of all things. Interesting timing. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you can make her a happy girl. So as I step onto the ice and I, I'm just thinking about like, what the heck did he just say to me? Like, I'm so confused right now. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't, I can't deke. Like I knew the ice was going to be really bad. So I'm just like, yeah. screw it. We're just going to skate down and see what happens. And like, I just came down and it's honestly a goal that I've scored so many times in practice because we do shootouts every week. And um, yeah, I, I didn't even see it. I just shot it. I didn't even think I looked. <laughs> I think I closed my eyes. And what what about the goal? Do you remember the, the first goal in the, um, the Harvard game? Yeah, that one was funny too, because that was a, a power play and I accidentally lined up on the wrong side. <laughs> And that was like just a complete accident. Like I, I meant to be on the left for like one timers. And so my other D partner would run the top and I, they won it back. I passed it over. I was like, Oh no, there's somebody right on her. She passed it back to me and I just shoot it. And then one of their girls tipped it in. And I was like, 
all right, let's go. We'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was winning the bean pot like the the best moment in your hockey career? Like, has, has anything come close to that yet? In my ice hockey career, nothing has topped that, and I don't think anything ever will. Yeah. Even I, if I win like some beer league championships or even a pro, like I don't know, a bean pot is just everything that was surrounding that and like the hype that we had after. It was it what, was really good. What did that celebration look like? I could show you some videos, but they're they're so not appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want them online. But there's no. one that I posted on my TikTok actually about um, I as soon as we got to the the bar that night, I went straight up with the trophy, ordered I think two pitchers and three shots. A girl comes up and she's like, "Oh, it's one of those for me." And I was like, "Nope." I took all three shots and then poured both the beers and I just started pouring in people's mouths. So. Awesome. we got we got off to it as quickly as possible that's all yeah there i was at i was at northeastern um when the boys team won and they were all you know freaking going nuts with it mm-hmm. it's, it's so crazy again like the the people outside of boston and massachusetts don't really understand like no <laughs> party after you win something like that like it's just it's, yeah um let me um so this past winter you were involved in the winter classic um winter classic festivities with all the influencers um what was that like kind of working with those guys the zach bells of the world old-time hockey crew um swaggy p can't forget about like what what was that like and and i know you guys had like a shootout going um what was going through your mind when you when you see all these guys doing this all those crazy tricks and stuff but you ultimately might have had the best move out of all of them (laughs) I appreciate that because I was very terrified to go watching them. And I mean, we had all been friends for a hot minute. And so actually I met old time hockey for the first time. He is just the nicest human being ever. Swaggy P is one of my really good friends. Now I actually worked his girls camp a month ago. Zach Bell, I've known for a decent bit of time since like being on social media. And so like for us all to be together and like watching them just do their stuff, I'm just like, are they kidding me? Like, this just isn't real. How are they able to do it? It doesn't make any sense. And when we were out there, we only had an hour. And so I was just kind of messing around. Like, I didn't really want to go in the shootout because I was one of the only girls out there. And so I was a little embarrassed. I was like, well, I can't, I can't even do the Zorro. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can't do it consistently. I can do the Zorro, but I can't do it consistently down the ice like they do it. And so I was like, I don't even know what I would do. So like, I just didn't go. And it was probably like, they're like, okay, 10 minutes remaining. And I was like, oh no. And Owen's like, Reagan, you got to go. I was like, okay, sounds good. And so he was like following me around with the camera and like, I was making sure nobody was really watching because I was a little embarrassed. And when I came down, I had no tape on my stick. I had no wax. I had nothing. So like the puck actually kind of slipped and I was trying to do a backhand toe drag and then it ended up working. And so there's people commenting saying like, oh, like she told him what he was going to do. Like he's he's like so bad blah blah blah, and he was actually trying (laughs) that's what he told me later you can tell like I I see all the time like especially like the Zach Bell videos it's like oh all these excuses of how these you guys can't do this shit and it's like how about you just admire the fact that they can actually pull this shit off and you would like trip over yourself even trying to do this you know definitely can't do what they do so i'm always impressed i don't care i was watching like the backhand toe drag i was like that was the nicest that was the nicest move out of all of them like you (laughs) you know i think um what what was your favorite moment about that entire weekend i would say this is so funny but i'm not i've never been to like a huge party on new year's eve or like i've been to a couple here and there but the nhl party was probably the coolest moment ever. <laughs> if you can imagine, I mean, do you know who Baby Rex is? Sing, singer? singer? Yeah. So she was the the singer for the night, and like at midnight, she's like just singing this song. I'm good, yeah, I'm feeling all right. And confetti's coming down from the ceiling. We're like, what is this what right is now? How drunk yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. So that was one of my favorite moments. But I also think just like hanging out with the guys and just we we chat all the time now and I think seeing their moves and everything we got to go on the ice like three separate times at Fenway so I don't know how much more awesome that I can get plus I saw Sidney Crosby up close and personal but who's like my favorite player so I have a lot of favorite moments from that week honestly 
Yeah, we uh my fiance and I were at the game too and and were you? Yeah, we were. So we sat like I think we were on the opposite side of all the benches, probably like five rows up. But the mm-hmm. ice, like the where the seats were, it was kind of hard to see. Like you, all you saw was like the upper half of the players. So, oh yeah. But it was the most. I think it was the funnest hockey game I've ever been to. Like especially the drama at the end with like when Gino scored and we're like, no one knew. Like everyone was texting me like, "Oh, Bruins win," and we're still waiting for like the call on the ice. Like we don't know if it's a no goal or not. But yeah, it was. It's such. They did such a good job with that with the uh, outdoor game at Fenway. Like I, I don't. Yeah. Think done it any better and the weather you can't forget about that we had the best weather ever we took the train right in like we had no problem getting in getting out like the weather was perfect you couldn't have drawn it up any better oh and the jets the jets were really cool at the very beginning yeah yeah those oh my god yeah and i I tried to get it on video but i was like uh, i was a few beers deep at that point so like they're already by me and i'm like still fumbling to get my phone out but yeah it was such a crazy experience um, so I, I, I want to talk to you about your time in, uh, in Sweden. Um, w- would you say Sweden was, was your favorite place to play overall? Uh, like, yeah, for pros, BU obviously takes yeah. the cake for everything, but Sweden definitely was one of my top places just because I got to live in Stockholm, Sweden. Like how many people get to say that? Like it, everything was paid for. I was playing the game that I loved. And the people, I actually talked to one of them a couple of days ago. She's one of my best friends still. And so I've been trying to make another trip out there to go to Minish, or uh, Swedish Midsummer. And yeah, it was just an unbelievable place to be. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is that a place that you would like go back and visit like easily or like mm-hmm. I, I've never been. I'd love to go check it out sometime. Emma, so my fiance, her company is based out of Sweden. So she goes, oh, like, really? yeah, she goes twice a year. So when I saw that, you were in Sweden and I was like, she had nothing like awesome things to say. Like she says they mm-hmm. move heartbeat. Um, yeah. So the only was- thing is winter time. <laughs> Not good. Uh, really dark, really cold, very snowy. Yeah. It's not too different than from Massachusetts though. Three hours, three hours of sunlight. Oh. If you got yeah. sunlight. Yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, no, I'm good. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's like I said, she she has nothing but good things to say. So as soon as I saw, and honestly, I was listening to I forgot what podcast it was. Um, oh, the Empty Netter Boys. Oh awesome, yeah, awesome guys, love them. They're um, so funny. <laughs> yeah, Dan and Chris are hilarious. Um, but yeah, I heard I heard you talking to them about about Sweden. You were saying that like that was your favorite place, so I had to ask you about mm-hmm. it. Um, so kind of transitioning to what I find is like the most inspirational, like part of your, you know, journey is um, you being an advocate for mental health. Um, You've gone through, you know, spouts of anxiety, PTSD. um, And with everything that you've been through, like what, what is your biggest advice for people that might be going through similar things? Um, And what avenues would you recommend they take? Like in, in general, not like specific cases. For advice, I would say it feels like you're very alone and like everything that you're feeling is extremely valid. And it feels like you will never come out of that dark hole. But I think if you just take everything one day at a time, it makes your life so much easier. Because when I was going through it, I couldn't see long term whatsoever. Like I could barely see tomorrow. That's how depressed I was. And what helped me was just talking to my friends, opening up like to my family. Even it's just like, hey, like I really need a friend today. Can like I chat with you or like can I come sit with you? Like do homework, whatever it was. I think being able to reach out is the hardest piece, but also the strongest you could be in that situation. And so some like different avenues I would say you could take is one, I did therapy. A lot of people do talk therapy. It's can be expensive, but now there's a lot of systems that you can use online, which like BetterHelp is an example. You can just like text somebody on your phone, which is so cool. And there's journaling. Journaling was huge for me going throughout. And I even, I journal every single day. I just got a new notebook actually. It's right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I meditate, meditation. Oh, heck yeah, let's go. 
meditation is huge. Just being able to sit with yourself, like sit with your feelings. I used to, before when I was working a corporate job, I get super anxious before going. I don't know why that was happening, but I would sit and just like feel where the anxiety was on my body and like being able to sit with yourself, even if it's just like five or 10 minutes a day can really help you. And then the last piece is like getting in that exercise. You, you don't even realize like what a walk even could do for your mental health. Just a five minute walk. Because as soon as you get up, you're like, oh, I did five minutes. All right, let me do 10 more minutes. And like, it's setting those little goals where you feel like you're accomplishing something because a lot of time you're just missing that sense of purpose whenever you're going through that depression. You're feeling lonely because you don't have that purpose. Everything in between. Like, So if you can find those different ways to not only have an outlet for yourself, but also like start building your community, it makes your life so much easier as you're coming or going through whatever you're going through. Yeah. An interesting point that you brought up early um, is that your the feelings that you're feeling during that are 100% valid. And I think oftentimes that people kind of dismiss those as like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get over it. or And I think that's kind of how things begin to spiral out of control um, because one thing after another. Um, and I think it's really important that point you brought up that they're extremely valid. Um, everything you're feeling and there's so many avenues that you can take. I know we were talking about it early, you know, before we even started recording how difficult it was and is to find resources. Mm -hmm. Um, on your Twitter page, you had listed out a hundred different resources. Um, and, and I'll include that in, you know, in the podcast, um, you know, post or whatever. Um, and I thought that was just absolutely amazing. Just, to see it all out there because at times it doesn't feel like there's anyone to talk to. Um, mm. There's no one out there that can help. And just seeing all those different avenues that you can take was, was amazing to see. And and that's kind of where I was like, I have to reach out and get her story and just, you know, to have someone as high profile as you, um, you know, caring so much about, you know, mental health, anxiety, depression, PTSD. It's absolutely amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Our, uh, I think somebody said your pain becomes your purpose. So yeah, mental health has now become my purpose. Exactly. <laughs> Part of it anyways. Um, so do you want, could you talk to us about you being the founder of the uh, female athlete society? Like what different things do you guys do? Um, what was your main goal in, in starting this? My main goal was just to give resources to female athletes and honestly, all athletes practically every single resource that is on there is applicable to male athletes as well. And I started it whenever I came back from Budapest because I had wanted to have my own mentorship at the time. So I just, I put out a TikTok and it ended up blowing up. I think there was like maybe 120,000 something likes on it. Wow. And I had over 2000 messages in my DMs on TikTok and Instagram, literally broke them. To the fact that like I couldn't even respond to everybody and I was like okay something needs to happen real quick and so the brainstorm happened within like a week or two and so I ended up making that into a full community and that was like off of Instagram off of TikTok and it had if you could think of like a Facebook page like when you're scrolling down a feed that's basically what it was like yeah. and you could have mental health resources mental performance there were um, physical training, everything that had to go into being an athlete. There was all that stuff there. And then the feed was like for girls to ask questions and like people could comment or like they could uh, like talk about books or whatever they wanted to. And then during that time too, for like the year that we ran it full time, it was every single week we would have these group calls that people could jump onto. And then obviously people could reach out and get one-on-one -on -one sessions with me. And I did that just because I wanted to help other people and so a lot of it I did out of my own pocket and it was just like kind of like my form of volunteering and we helped so many people we had over 400 girls and women from over 15 countries in every single sport and so I was really proud about that just because I had no idea what I was doing at the time and now that I've like taken a step back from it and kind of just made it into a resource page on Instagram then one resource page online I want to get back to it to where we can start up with the group calls again. We can start helping more people and then maybe even doing in-person group sessions. Yeah. 
that would be phenomenal. Like I said, you're you're doing God's work, and I, I thought it was awesome to see all the all the work that you've done. And um, honestly, you're you're an inspiration to to not only you know girls and women in hockey, but men too. I mean, I, I was truly blown away by all by all the work that you've done, and um, just just how kind of a soul you are, and wanting to help people. Um, so I'm so glad that we were able to link up and um, hopefully we can chat about this mental health, you know, more in the future. Um, the world truly is a better place with you in it. And, and we need more people like you to uh, to help others. So I can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast. Um, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Yeah, this You're is... really good at interviewing. <laughs> yourself I try. I'm getting better. This is so this is the 10th episode. Um, and, and this one, I was so I'm, I was this was probably my definitely my favorite one because of obviously with all the mental health stuff, just my history of whatever won't get into that. But um, this was definitely my favorite episode. And, and I can't thank you enough. And um, like I said, I'm going to be posting the hundred resources, um, on this post when, when the podcast episode does come out. Um, so you guys feel free to, uh, check those out. Um, super helpful. Um, and again, Reagan, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Take care.